Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, what he called the gospel or good news about the kingdom of God. We're glad you joined us again for another session of Scripture Searching Together. We're tackling what we consider to be the most foundational and fundamental of all biblical questions. What is the gospel? In other words, what is Christianity? Our impression after listening for many years to invitations given by evangelists to potential converts is that something seems to be missing from their presentation. The wording and the content of the evangelical gospel today often does not sound like Jesus Christ. And for one very simple reason, while Jesus Christ always invited people to believe in the gospel about the kingdom of God, current preachers seem, almost invariably, to mention only the death and the resurrection of Jesus as the content of the gospel. Now, there's a difference between those two ideas. A kingdom is not a death, and a kingdom is not a resurrection. When Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God, the kingdom was not the nebulous term that it sometimes is in the minds of current believers. No, the kingdom was the national hope of Israel. He spoke of the kingdom as a term which would be understood by his audience because his first command, the first command of Jesus Christ in Mark 1:14 and 15, was that people would repent, as to say, reorientate their lives to a new goal and believe in the gospel about the kingdom of God. Now, I've been able to look at many tracts over the years, and I've been surprised to find that the kingdom of God gospel seldom, if ever, gets any kind of mention in tracts offering salvation. And yet, when Jesus preached the gospel, and presumably as Christians we're following him, he always mentioned the kingdom of God. When Paul preached the gospel, he always mentioned the kingdom of God. We find that, for example, in the great summary of his own ministry, which he gave to us in his very own words, recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 20, verse 25. There Paul reported to the Ephesian elders that he'd been going about preaching the kingdom, heralding the kingdom. And that's exactly what we find Jesus doing at the outset of his ministry in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. And then that wonderful summary in Luke 4:43, where Jesus said, I must preach the gospel about the kingdom of God to the other cities also. That's the reason why God commissioned me. That, in other words, is the whole basis of the Christian mission. And so if it was the basis of Jesus' Christian mission, then it surely must be the mission of us as followers of Jesus to carry on the very same preaching of the kingdom which he initiated there some 2,000 years ago. You see, the matter is really very simple. When Jesus issued his marching orders to the church through the apostles in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he said, go into the world and teach them to observe everything that I taught you. And what did Jesus teach? Well, his whole teaching is summarized under, under the umbrella of the term kingdom of God. Ivasilia tu theou, as our Greek friends out there would recognize the pronunciation. The kingdom of God. Ivasilia tu theou. What the Hebrews call the malchut shamayim, the kingdom of the heavens or the kingdom of God. And by the way, those two expressions are entirely interchangeable. There's absolutely no difference in semantic content, in meaning between the phrase kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. 
the most extraordinary confusion has arisen in some circles by creating an entirely artificial distinction between those two terms. No, they're obviously interchangeable because parallel passages in the Gospel show that the very same saying in Matthew containing words about the kingdom of heaven is found in Mark and Luke with the alternative expression kingdom of God. What then is the kingdom of God? Well, let's answer this then from some of our most distinguished commentators. A German commentator, Henschen, in his celebrated commentary on the Acts of the Apostles, says this about the kingdom. The preaching of the kingdom of God in the book of Acts obviously refers to the kingdom of God, which will begin with the second coming. And he quotes as an example of that, for instance, Acts 14, verse 22. In that famous passage, Paul said, It is through much tribulation that we are destined to enter the kingdom of God. In other words, tribulation now in our Christian life, entrance into the kingdom of God in the future. The preaching of the kingdom of God, says this distinguished commentator, obviously refers to the kingdom of God which will begin with the parousia, or the second coming. End of quotation. And yet as I look through tracts offering salvation today, I see nothing about the preaching of the kingdom of God at all. If the kingdom gets a mention, it is always vague and undefined. But mostly, in hundreds of tracts that I've examined, there's no mention at all of the kingdom of God in current invitations to salvation. Now, why is this? Why have we lost the language of Jesus? And can we faithfully relay his gospel if we leave out his principal term and the content of the matter of the kingdom of God, which was so precious to Jesus? Another commentator H.J. Cadbury, in an article entitled Acts and Eschatology. And, of course, that word eschatology is simply a fancy term meaning things to do with the future, with the coming of Christ in the future. So, in an article entitled Acts and the Future, if you like, Cadbury says this, Nothing obviously distinguishes the term kingdom of God in Acts from its apocalyptic use in the Gospels. It's apocalyptic use, another fancy term, but a very easy one. Apocalyptic simply means those events which have to do with God's future cataclysmic intervention in world affairs to establish the kingdom. And so Cadbury here observes correctly that the term kingdom of God in the book of Acts has to do with that future coming, that cataclysmic intervention of God, just as it had in the book of Luke and the book of Mark and the book of Matthew. Kingdom of God also in Acts refers to that future apocalyptic coming of Jesus to establish the kingdom. Again, Kevin Giles, in an article in the Reformed Theological Review of September to December 1981, says this about Luke's understanding of the kingdom of God. And I would surely like to share that, that same understanding that Luke had, because I think Luke accurately understood and reported the teaching of Jesus. So Kevin Giles says this, Luke's understanding of the kingdom of God is that the kingdom is still in the future and it will mean the restoration of Israel. And he then goes on to quote somebody called J. Jervil uh, from a book called Luke and the People of God. And this J. Jervil refers to the Apostle's question about the restoration of the kingdom to Israel in Acts 1.6 and says, Luke's theology anticipated a restored Israel. Well, of course, that's quite plain from Acts 1 verse 6. And it wasn't, of course, only Luke's theology it was the theology of Jesus himself whose question and answer session with the disciples there is recorded for us so beautifully 
in Acts chapter 1. Now, again, in the article by Cadbury I referred to a moment ago, he says this, Acts, the book of Acts, includes many familiar elements in New Testament preaching. The preachers all preach the kingdom of God or the things about it. And he refers us there to Acts 1 verse 3, Acts 8 verse 12, Acts 20 verse 25, and Acts 28 verses 23 and 25. Let me give you those verses again because they're so important for establishing a framework about the gospel of the kingdom in the book of Acts. Acts 1.3, there you find Jesus for 40 weeks discussing the affairs of the kingdom. So Jesus has not given up on the kingdom after the resurrection, not for one moment. And then in Acts 8.12, a wonderfully simple, almost creedal statement, where we read that when they believed Philip as he was preaching the gospel or good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, the people were being baptized both men and women. Acts 8.12. What a wonderfully coherent, logical, illuminating verse that is. It sums up the content of the gospel as the apostles were preaching it. And yet I don't hear the term kingdom of God offered in the gospel today. What has happened to that kingdom? We need to reinstate it at the very heart of our Christian preaching. The term kingdom of God, Cadbury goes on to say, appears from almost the first verse in the book of Acts to the last verse in the book. And he then says, the kingdom of God constitutes a formula, apparently parallel to the writer's more characteristic single verb, evangelize. And so evangelizing and kingdom, these two terms are intertwined, they're inseparable, inextricably bound up together. You cannot preach the gospel without the kingdom. Those two things belong hand in glove and must not be separated. And again, Cadbury then observes this, nothing obviously distinguishes the term kingdom of God in Acts from its apocalyptic use in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. For example, he says, one enters the kingdom of God through much tribulation, Acts 14.22. Our former commentator, I referred to him just a moment ago, Henshin, in his uh, very celebrated commentary on the book of Acts, says on Acts 28, verse 23, where Paul is preaching the kingdom to the Jews, he says, The kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ properly stand side by side. The second expression, the name of Jesus Christ, refers to the death and resurrection of Jesus attested in the Scriptures, and therefore the Messiahship of Jesus. The kingdom of God, he then says, describes the entire Christian proclamation and he refers to Acts 19 verse 8 where Paul was preaching the kingdom for three months and he refers as I have just mentioned to Acts 20 verse 25 where Paul summarized his whole ministry as a proclamation of the kingdom and he refers also to Acts 1 verse 3 where Jesus held a six week or so seminar the risen Jesus that is held a six-week-long seminar with his apostles before finally leaving them. Earl Ellis, in his commentary in the New Century Bible, says, In Acts, in the book of Acts, the term kingdom of God is used only of a future event. The kingdom will have a glorious and public manifestation in the future. Like the creative word in Genesis, Earl Ellis goes on to say, referring to Genesis 1-3, 
Like the creative word in Genesis, the word of the kingdom contains within it the reality of the new creation itself. Nevertheless, the kingdom also remains in the future, and its coming is associated with the second coming, the glorious appearance of Jesus in the future at the close of the age. Those were the comments of Earl Ellis in his uh, commentary in the New Century Bible series. And so eternal life, this commentator also says, awaits the age to come. And then he adds this most important comment. By their response to the kingdom message, men reveal whether they are destined or not for the life of the age to come. And he refers there to Acts 8, verses 1 through 18, and Acts chapter 13, verses 46 and 48. There can be no doubt at all, according to these commentators, and one's own reading of the scripture, at the simplest level, that the kingdom of God message is the factor driving these New Testament apostles. And yet there's an extraordinary dearth of kingdom information in contemporary presentations of the gospel. Something has happened, and we must restore the kingdom to its heart and center, not only as it was in the message of Jesus, but as it continued to be unchanged in the message of the apostles throughout the New Testament. The kingdom of God, after all, is the key creative term, as Earl Ellis says. It's the term which is going to change lives. It's the creative work of God in our hearts and minds, the indispensable tool for the production of immortality. Our time is running out for today. We invite you to join us again as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.